Welcome to the Edgerton Life Podcast. This is your host, Jess Lampy, and I have the distinct pleasure of introducing today uh, the parents of Andy, uh, Jody and Tom Edgerton. Hi, Jody and Tom. How are you doing today? Doing well, Jess. Doing well. How are you doing? Thank you, Jess, for your kind welcome. Well, I, I thank you both, uh, just so that everybody who is listening knows this is the, the second time you've been very generous with your time in order to connect with me. And uh, due to a technical issue, we lost the loss at last at audio, but I, I'm, I'm happy we get to, to connect with you again. Uh, and I'm really excited to have an opportunity to share uh, both Andy's stories through your eyes and, and also your own stories uh, and uh, all the exciting plans for the future that you all have. We are excited too. Well, I would like to, to start off with uh, a little bit of, of context uh, to catch people up. So, um, uh, as mentioned, you are uh, you are Andy's parents, and you um, for for those who uh, knew Andy but maybe not don't know you as well. I know I know that you were uh, the two of you were both very actively uh, a part of uh, the 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 two year journey Andy effectively went on, uh, and I was hoping to have a chance to share your experience of 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 what Andy was going through during that time period and um, how he was operating. It was uh, quite a, quite a, uh, I'm always amazed at how much life he packed into uh, a very stressful uh, short period of time and uh, how, how brightly he burned while he was doing that. I, um, I wanted to hear from, from your perspective, what, what was, very broadly, how was life like during that period? Well, let me jump in first and say, uh, and then I'll turn it over to Tom and say that it was an experience of a lifetime, if you can believe that. What, just as you said, what he packed in to, to a day um, uh, and a night, Jess, because after he was on chemo and on steroids, he was up all night. And what he packed in was truly, truly amazing. There were great days, and there were some days that weren't as good as you might expect. Um, he ended up doing 40 infusions of chemo, which we thought was just amazing. And then he did all of these things, traveling out to see you and, and sitting at your kitchen table and starting uh, this whole broadcast uh, uh, program and just just quite an amazing experience for us. I think one of the things that we were involved in, more myself than uh, Andy or Jody, I was involved in the backroom office support staff. Um, it took a lot of resources to support Andy on his journey during these two years. And it was an exploration of traditional techniques and probably more significantly, an exploration of new woo-woo techniques. And in some way, uh, Andy wanted to eagerly participate in everything he could. You know what else he did, Jess? He pulled various family and, and good friends into various 
activities that he was putting together. Um, and it was, actually, it was fun to observe some of that and then to see the results. And the truth is, we are continuing his legacy by pulling together all the things that he started. Now, one of the realities of living with Andy while he was under the duress of pancreatic cancer is that his day started about 5 p.m. and lasted all night. Uh, His support team's day was the traditional day. So um, many of the things that he did and accomplished in the way that you're describing packing stuff in happened during... I would say 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. Wouldn't you say that, Joe, Joe? Oh, I think I think he. there were times where he was a 24-hour guy, Jess. <laughs> it was amazing. It absolutely was. And, and hearing you two describe that, that makes sense now a lot more about the times uh, I felt like he was reaching out to connect with me. <laughs> I was sometimes amazed at the hour. I was like, oh, how is it going? Uh, <laughs> So when when he was starting this, uh, in the series of interviews we've done with the other people that he wanted to reach out to for this podcast, uh, one of the reoccurring themes I heard was just how active he was in terms of reaching out to people and uh, looking to start initiatives, as you were saying. Uh, I was also amazed by the number of different initiatives that it sounded like he was involved in from being being there with him uh, are you able to break down what were what were all the projects that andy was working on at this point in time well again let me jump in then i'll pass it over to tom Uh, you know there were about five or six different areas that he was pulling together it was almost like it was a multimedia program it was i think first thing were these podcasts that you were doing with him Uh, the website um, he coined Edgerton.life, which is um, what we have been using as we set up the foundation, the Edgerton.life Pancreatic Kastner Foundation. So he had the podcast, the website. He did these great blogs on LinkedIn. Um, he, he called them from the chair. And so not only did he have pictures, but he was able to um, um, do some uh, fantastic writing called from the chair he had videos that he was putting together Uh, he flew to friends megan and bobs in denver to talk about stories and pulling stories together in more of a book format so you know that's like five or six different initiatives and components which we then wrapped under the foundation the edgerton.life foundation Um, the website uh, is very simple. I mean, it's edgerton.life, and then it flows into Facebook with information on these various, various initiatives and topics. So with all these initiatives and topics, we were his bank and supported this financially. I think that um, it's important for people to understand this. When someone like Andy is going through cancer treatment, it is not a very inexpensive project. One of the things that struck me about Andy is prior to his diagnosis, you could say that Andy was a handsome young man, smart, 
articulate. He was gifted athletically. He was gifted from a creative artistic standpoint. Um, people were attracted to him. But Andy's ideal of himself had not matured all that much until really he had pancreatic cancer. I think that he always uh, planned his life around his older brother. His older brother was his mentor and guide. And Andy didn't own his own stuff until I think he went through the pancreatic cancer. And once he found out that that was going on, that he had value unto himself that he recognized, um, um, I, he just went on a blitz. So that's, that's an important thing. He became himself, and he found value in himself. and He was flying like the devil. You know what else, Jess? He, with all of this, became a real tutor, teacher, mentor to others that he could help. And he did it with what he called edutainment, that it was always in a fun way. He was a fun, <laughs> fun and funny guy, as you probably know. So it was interesting to, obviously, to participate and, and be involved and observe while all of this was going on. Um, his brother, Bart, is the chairman of the foundation, and um, uh, it's, it's been just really gratifying to continue this legacy through the foundation. And Andy's close, close friend uh, since kindergarten, Mike Coleman, um, picked up the mantle uh, on the foundation and has been guiding and leading all, all of those activities. And I think it's important also, uh, we're kind of painting a picture that he was just happy, 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 creating, creating, creating. He wasn't all the time. He could uh, go into many moods. And um, one time something happened and I said, Andy, I understand. Oh, he just got so angry at me. He said, you don't understand. You don't understand. And I explained it to an adult friend of mine who has gone through a lot of crisis and he said, I agree with Andy. You don't understand. Andy's going through a near-death experience. And I went, oh, okay, okay. I think that really gave Andy an edge. Down deep, he knew he didn't have much time. And he made the most of it. Another thing that I think was important um, is that he found a spiritual basis that was his. It was his, and he did a lot of interviewing of, of Christian denominations and Jewish denominations and, and Mormon and this, that, and the other, and he finally found someone that um, he resonated with, and in doing so, he was baptized, oh, I would say about two months before he died. That was very significant. That was his choice. His seeking, his discovery, his ownership. And um, I think part of that is what was dry, driving him throughout the two years is the seeking of his own truth. And when he found his truth, 
it was easy for him easier for him to identify the truth in others that they wanted to hear and he did that i think that was part of his magic jess um he could be shocking he could walk into a room and he knew that people knew that he had pancreatic cancer but nobody would say anything and he would um you know those type of things um i remember him one time <laughs> saying that he went to a meeting and the topic was being avoided so he just brought it up and somebody sitting next to him said well i understand because i have carpal tunnel and <laughs> I remember him thinking, aha, that person just didn't get it. But it's, it's difficult to be compassionate. Andy was a very compassionate person. And I think it's difficult for people. He helped teach us how to, how to react and, and what to do many times in those situations. I do remember him bringing that up in conversation, that the, the average person is not emotionally or intellectually equipped to really understand the state of of having a known or maybe not a specific date but a known limited time uh, i remember him speaking to that and uh, feeling uh, that that was one of the challenges of of teaching people was it that it, it's really hard for people to put themselves in that type of a position uh, to to because there's no frame of reference in anything that they've experienced that could match it uh, if they're if they're a fortunate individual. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, everybody has an expiration date. We just don't know when that is. And to imagine more or less knowing that and then proceeding with life um, is is just a pretty incredible thing. You know, when Andy, when Andy moved into a room or when he came into a room, he kind of consumed the room. It was just that type of personality, looks, attitude, and this, that, and the other. Um, what he went through, I think, he became as handsome on the inside as he was on the outside, and he could direct his comments and this, that, and the other from his internal being, not having people depend on their own imagination with his external looks. I don't know if that makes sense, but that gave Andy the edge, so to speak. And he could resonate with other people's feelings because they knew he was genuine in the way he was reacting to him. Jess, it was also interesting to listen to the podcasts that you have done and to hear those interviews and people talk um, about uh, the spiritual journey as well, which I think Andy could could rather quickly get into um, some of that. And one of the interviews with uh, Jen Lim. Yeah, I remember Jen. From the Delivering Happiness mm -hmm. uh, CEO. I remember thinking, now that's going to be an interesting, interesting interview. Because when you think of cancer, you don't think of happiness <laughs> necessarily. But I thought that interview was so interesting. She talked about the art and science of happiness and that Andy had embraced it as well as embraced death and um, uh, that those were some of the things they talked about. Well, thank you. I, I, I very much enjoyed chatting with Jen. It's a great uh, interview. And, and hearing about 
her interaction with Andy, I I think it was uh, she was one of the interviews that we did relatively early on in this process and talking with her what it was one of the first times I was starting to realize just the scope of what Andy what Andy was doing in that two-year period and what I mean by that is uh, I, I knew that he had gone to some event with uh, Deepak Chopra and uh, there there was there were like little details like that but then this was another person who had been connected to a book i had read and through andy's way he had reached out and and impacted their lives too it was uh it'd be the equivalent of of having uh i i guess the nearest feeling i could describe it as would be like it'd be the equivalent of like going to high school or college with somebody who ends up being a celebrity and then you you see them in the world in movies or TV, and you go, "Oh wow, I, I, uh, they're they're doing that now." But it was almost the opposite. It was like you'd seen all these people. You had a friend who, uh, in in my mind, I was thinking, "Oh, now he's 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 going into this really difficult treatment period. Life's gonna slow down." It did not. It accelerated, and suddenly all of those people and faces out there, he was reaching out and connecting with, and I had. I just often had this feeling of being like, wow, I'm not moving nearly as fast as I should. And uh, <laughs> that gentleman over there has has every single disadvantage working against him right now. And he's he's laying those aces down with the full hand uh, like it's nothing. Uh, it was it was quite amazing. Well, he did truly embrace the fight in 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 many ways, in many ways. You know, um, there's a saying that birds seek their flock, and Andy going to Thunderbird uh, turned out to be a flock of people that he resonated with, and you are one of them, is my understanding, and that is a supreme compliment from Andy to you. Um, and I think once he identified that he was a bird looking for its flock, he wanted um, intellectual interaction, creative interaction, um, at at a higher pitch and at a higher level. So he sought these people out, and Jesse, you're one of them, and I hope you wear the mantle well and embrace it yourself. Well, thank you. That that's that is about the nicest thing anybody could say to me. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. Jess, we're channeling Andy. <laughs> I think there's another point that um, that needs explanation or some declaration. Um, we as the parents, me as the father, uh, it's a difficult grieving process. It's a painful process. And you asked if um, we had listened to earlier segments that you had produced. Jody listened to them. I just couldn't do it. So at that time, now I can. Time has a way of healing and, and so forth. But I think from the parental standpoint, uh, it is extremely painful to lose a child. And it reoccurs in minutia every day in different ways. And <clears throat> we have found out through other people that they have lost a child, and they can just resonate with us like crazy. 
So I think that's a point that we need to, to make as parents. Jess, I think uh, to piggyback on what Tom said, when I started listening, of course, Andy was the first interview. I, I really wanted to listen, but I had to wait a bit. It was actually, I, I had to meditate, and, which is a good thing. And then I was ready. It was just great. I felt like I was sitting at the kitchen table with you guys. And it, uh, it just was a special experience. Um, the grieving process is one that um, Tom and I thought, well, you know, the first year we knew would be heavy duty and it's the first everything, first birthday, first Christmas, first Thanksgiving, you know, first everything. But the second year, last year, was more difficult than we thought. And um, um, it's, it is something that um, is difficult. There's no word for parents who lose a child. There's a word, you're either a widow or a widower, depending whether you lose a husband or a wife, but there's nothing that describes a name for those of us who have lost children. And as Tom said, we're kind of gravitating toward those that have lost in some ways when we don't even realize um, until later, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I, I have to say that uh, there, uh, we, the, we had talked previously and, and you, you had expressed uh, the similar feeling and sensation of just being unable to describe this. And I think it ties in really well to kind of what we were talking about in terms of the experience of uh, a, a parent losing a child or the experience of going through a terminal illness like Andy did and, and being and saying like it's it's really hard to describe this to somebody or for somebody who's not experiencing it to completely empathize. I it the point drove home for me because I was listening to um, the the Broadway show Hamilton soundtrack and there's a song in there about the topic uh, titled The Unimaginable and and I'm listening to it and I was just realizing I was like the absurdity of this is that the only way I can relate in any level is that it was like I saw a Broadway play in which this was happening and 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 it is described as unimaginable and I and it it was it's humbling to think like I I it's probably near impossible to put ourselves in your shoes fully to understand but the support that you all of you the thunderbird group his college groups his uh obviously his close family cousins uh and the lights of his life of course his own children you know just during his memorial service uh we were expecting maybe 100 people and over 600 people showed up and they were from all over the world in all his groups. He got a master's degree at the University of Auckland in New Zealand, and five of his fellow students showed up. They're from all over the country, but they went to school with him in New Zealand. Uh, the Thunderbird crew was just fantastic. We've had, you probably know who I'm referring to, we've had people come in from Hong Kong. We had people come in from... India that were fellow students at 
Thunderbird. And this is, uh, that was for the memorial service. Throughout his two years, people were in here weekly from all over the country. Um, it's just amazing. I think and sometimes Andy called out and said, come on over. <laughs> come on I'm in. I'm sure he did. <laughs> and one of the delicate things on a certain level was he had a girlfriend in high school, a girlfriend in college, and a girlfriend post. Uh, they all came. They all cried. They all loved him. And it was awkward at first, but... They're all our dearest friends now, and uh, we still correspond. His high school girlfriend, um, at his, when he was in hospice, uh, provided a meal for 30 people. Oh, wow. Just amazing. Yeah. Just, so. just, just amazing, and the support that, that we saw and that he received was um, just incredible. After he passed, after a couple of months, Jody and I received a gift certificate for a hotel stay and for $1,000. Oh, wow. Really? Um, that, I can hardly say it. It just, it was pe- people wanting to express something after Andy died. And Jess, it was a spa. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> It was a very odd feeling. It was a wonderful place to go, a wonderful thing to do, but it was the reason why we were there was awkward. <laughs> well, anyway, it was wonderful. It, we were we were so thankful. I think this segues nicely. I'm uh, I'm I'm curious though. The goal when Andy uh, launched the idea for this podcast was to help people who end up in a similar situation to get information, find hope, um, and uh, work through the challenges. Given that you were involved in the process, I, I'd kind of like to turn the table a little bit and have it not not just focus on the person who's in the position, but the, the people that are there being the support network. Uh, if, if you two were going to give advice to people who found themselves caring for someone who ended up in Andy's situation. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you give? Before Jody gets into that, um, we, since Andy's passing, we are constantly told about someone who died in a week, someone who died in two months, someone who lasted a year, and um, it goes on and on. Um, Jody will probably describe a couple. Then I want to come back on and tell you what another level of care that we're giving. Um, one of the things that I would tell, and Tom and I continue to tell anybody who is involved with pancreatic cancer uh, specifically, is to get in touch with the Pancreatic Action Network. That organization, Jess, uh, taught us early on two words, and it was wage hope. Once we connected with that group and started waging hope together and learning what they could do and how they could say and what they could help, everything from uh, stories that were relevant to clinical trial 
potential options, just an incredible thing. Now, besides that, I think that there are things that are applicable in the pancreatic experience um, to others who have cancer. And so there are various, um, depending on who it is, there are various books that we found helpful. Um, and I think it, um, by setting up the Edgerton.life Foundation, we have been able to um, do some educational things that I think Andy would like. We've given several presentations to groups. Um, uh, certainly the focus is on pancreatic cancer, but not totally. It's, uh, it's cancer in general. When pancreatic cancer says wage hope, that just turned us in the right direction. Pancreatic cancer is a death sentence. The only variable is when. And in Andy's case, it was two years. Uh, we are so um, embraced. We have so embraced Pancreatic Cancer Action Network that we, Jody and I are part of the Missouri delegation that goes to Washington, D.C. on an annual basis to lobby for research funds from Congress to the tune of about $46.1 billion. We talk to our Congress people. This is by appointment. It's a formal thing. And that is one avenue we take. We also embrace them at the local level by participating in the pancreatic cancer 5K run. And Team Edge was born. It was a sad thing because Andy participated in two of the cancer runs. He was always introduced as a survivor. This last year, he wasn't there. That was very sad, very hard to take. Um, so we do it at the local level. We do it at the national level. Um, but to embrace hope is to embrace life. If pancreatic cancer just by itself is, is death. So it made all the difference in the world. In fact, I don't think Jody and I thought he was going to die until his last breath. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Um, this Purple Stride 5K, Jess, is really um, a, a fundraising program that is nationwide. And Andy set up Team Edge in 2016. There are now five Team Edges, and we think there is soon to be a sixth one. So um, each one of those Team Edges is raising money on behalf of Andy's legacy for the Pancreatic Action Network. Um, uh, the foundation um, uh, then promotes that walk, um, and we have actually been a team winner uh, for two years, uh, second place and third place in terms of amount of money raised uh, for Team Edge. Um, the other thing that, uh, well, there are several other things, but the foundation um, itself has a fundraiser. This will be our third one this year on Andy's birthday, October 23rd. So anybody who um, has a calendar can put that date every year on their calendar into infinity, if you will. Um, so October 23rd this year is on a Friday. Um, and uh, it, it is a gathering of, of people uh, 
interested. It's not just Andy. It is it is the whole community. It's pancreatic cancer in general. And we're all raising funds together for that. In fact, we gave the first Purple Halo Award to Lindsay McDonald last year. We will continue to do that for those who are uh, outstanding. Lindsay started the Purple Stride 5K in KC. Oh, very exciting. Yes, there's another point. There's, there's another point that we've learned. I'm jumping to a different subject. Um, pancreatic cancer seems to be one of those cancers that really has an embryonic beginning several years ahead of the diagnosis. And it has been very helpful to us to know some of that because Andy's personality and some of his motivations were changing. And he did go through a, a dark period of of going to physician to physician to physician, trying to figure out where the pain and the aches were with no results. And he did do self some self-medication with alcohol and maybe some other things. Um, it It's perfectly understandable today why he had to go through that dark period. Once the diagnosis was given, it made a tremendous switch. He knew what the rules of the game were. And um, and and ran with it. Well, anyway, that's interesting. It's a it's a timely observation. I feel uh, as as other as uh, currently COVID pandemics are unfolding. Uh, it seems like one of the uh, reoccurring themes there is one of the important elements is early testing and and identification. Um, I think it's important to remember that that's also very true for for uh, situations or, or, or things like things like pancreatic cancer. Um, but I, what I find fascinating about the way you describe that is it's it uh, it's not so much just the uh, it's not even important just in terms of of being able to be on the appropriate treatment plan. It sounds like there's a psychological benefit to knowing oh this is the reality that I'm in. Well, also, there's a psychological benefit to knowing this is the treatment. Right. And one of the big, big issues with pancreatic cancer is there are so few treatments, period. Um, when the chemo stops working, then what? I mean, that's the question. Then what? Um, in, in other cancers that have been researched more, uh, there are, there are uh, many treatments uh, but that's what makes this so deadly with pancreatic cancer. Um, I, you, well, I'm sorry, Tom, go ahead. One of the most difficult things for a parent is to know that your child is in pain and has something wrong, and there is nothing you can do. Because as a child grows up, you are constantly supporting the child in any way you can, and usually it works. But when they have a diagnosis such as this, and they're in discomfort and pain, and there is absolutely nothing you can do except be there. Be there. Um, the art and science of muddling through, of being there, is a difficult game to learn. No matter how old your child is. What were some of the things that uh, you found got you through those hard moments when you were 
uh, either early on in the diagnosis period uh, or shortly after Andy was diagnosed or later on as um, uh, options were moving away. What, what, what advice would you give to people that were in that situation? I think one huge factor for us was our support group. Uh, and family and friends. And I think my advice would be not to um, be afraid to reach out, um, that that, that, was, uh, that was a key for us. And Andy himself had such a fantastic worldwide support group that it, 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 really, it really helped so many ways. I'm going to go back to pancreatic cancer's wage hope. That's a you almost become a warrior in this. You wage hope. And yeah, there are some moments, but uh, what it means is that you try this, you try that, you back off there, you move forward there. Um, in some cases, Andy and Jody would go off the deep end in my mind about doing magical cures and crystals and energy vibrations and woo-woo stuff. But you know what? It all, it all was positive. They tried it, and if it didn't work, we went to some other item. So waging hope with a death sentence, it means you don't concentrate on death, you concentrate on life. That is, that is so bottom line. Jess, I think another practical thing <laughs> um, is this, is that don't need to be afraid to find the doctor that is right for you. In other words, don't be afraid to look around. Uh, you know, a second opinion is valuable, maybe a third opinion. And Andy created his own doctor's team um, with the primary doctor, obviously, here in Kansas City. But I think to reach out, if, if you can find the doctor that advocates for you, um, uh, not only uh, supports you medically, but also a whole person approach, which was what Andy was after. So um, I think that's an important one too. Just to reiterate, Jody um, said Andy did it. Jody did it for Andy. Oh, I was a research person and researched those doctors for him as well. In the Kansas City area, we are under the care of the Supreme Cancer medical community, but it wasn't enough. So through Jody and Andy, they found a consultant at Seattle at the, I forgot the name of the... Why Jess helped with that one, Paul Lampy. Uh, yeah, my uncle at the Hutch. Yes, yes, got us to Dr. Hingorani, who was just fantastic. That, that group of physicians, uh, we did one in Washington, D.C. and some other places, so as treatments and options were looming and changing, um, our primary doctor here was open to t listening to these other physicians. They had conference calls. I think that's remarkable. A lot of people will just stick with their doctor because they're so fearful of not offending the doctor and jumping to uh, other places. I don't know if that answers one of your questions, but that's one of the things that... I think it does. And one of the one of the 
the one of the interviews that this reminds me of. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the interview we did with Mary McNaughton. She was oh yes, uh, yes. She, she was a cancer survivor, and she was speaking to um, uh, the 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 doctor that she ended up working with had in terms of uh, looking for treatments and options and things like that. The doctor had recommended. Uh, uh, saving some stem cells uh, in hopes that something might come along in the future. And it was just this, uh, he, he thought there might be options in the horizon, who knows? And so she ended up doing that. And uh, that, mm-hmm. yes. that ultimately ended up saving her life. And it was uh, o- only by virtue of the fact that uh, she was luckily tied to a doctor who was leveraging a network of understanding what was on the horizon and and effectively just waging out trying trying what they could do and and seeing if something would pan out jess um andy's children uh we would meet with them in washington dc while he was undergoing treatment so we made arrangements with innova hospital so he could get treatment there while he was seeing his children. Um, this was not his primary one in Kansas City, but it was an agreeable arrangement. And lo and behold, that group became so interested in Andy's case, they put Andy's case on the tumor conference, tumors, tumor board, and invited Joni and I to participate. And it was a joint meeting of interdisciplinary people of about 50-some people, and they you would have thought that they knew Andy because they were talking about his tumor and the peculiarities thereof. It was, it was quite something. Huh. Oh, it was great. They came up with a match uh, with his mutation uh, that they were able to match with some medication, which was tried as a treatment, and it, it just didn't work. Uh, but it was... Uh, it was a treatment that looked like it could, so it was worth trying. One of the uh, complaints I would have of, of the system is that this thing is very emotional. This disease has a very intense emotional capacity, not only for the patient, but for the patient's support system. And the integrating the mental health component of Healthcare is is not well tied in. A whole person approach. So I would say one of my recommendations to people within the cancer field is to integrate the mental health into it in a more practical daily way. Absolutely, and it certainly is. I would I would hope for a system that's not even just about the individual and supporting them in that moment but the 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 people that are around them and are that person's support network ensuring that you can uh they would hopefully have the resources to uh, uh be supported and uh, be able to get any sort of necessary training that they would need in order to f- fall into this role that, that is kind of thrust upon them yes yes you're right you're absolutely right did the, did you feel? I, I'm I'm actually genuinely curious. Did you did you feel like that existed for you all, or was that were you having to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps to go figure out how to do any of that? I know Andy raved about how 
Bootstraps. Bootstraps, bootstraps. <laughs> well, you know what? We're also a proactive bunch. <laughs> and so that helps. Yeah, I I I do I was amazed and I was always startled when uh, Andy told me the story of early on when he started looking at research options and I I mean certainly everybody should try to be master of their own fate and and go learn as much as they absolutely can and and make the best decisions but uh, when he was talking about how he had assembled notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of information uh, in order to figure out what he needed to be doing, uh, part of me, part of me, kind of reacted in that way, where I was like, "This is—is is this a symptom of the 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 problem not being well managed in the system? Are there are there things we could be doing as a society so that?" Um, you don't have to do a, a rushed degree in, in understanding oncology in order to, to make sure you get good treatment options. From your perspective, how was that? Well, you bring up the standard of care. And typically, uh, the doctors do not veer much from that standard of care. Um, what I think Andy did and and we helped him do and his friends and support group did was to reach out beyond that standard of care and use that as the basis and then add to that. One area is nutrition. Andy became almost a Nazi SS trooper with me because I like a good greasy juicy cheeseburger and that was not that was verboten. Um, he really got into the current wave of healthy intake. Um, the nutritional components of what you put in your body became very important, and he became almost an expert on it. What was that Harvard project that he was on? He was the Shine Project at Harvard, where he was an advisor, I think was also very helpful along those lines the, uh, in general. Um, he was into uh, acupuncture um, to see if that helped. Um, various kinds of things that are still considered outside of the standard of care. Um, I think there's a lot more openness uh, now a couple years down the road uh, than there was when, when Andy was going through this. So I think that's good. Andy was a warrior. People, uh, his friends started picking up the fact that he was a warrior in this battle that he was involved in. And I think it's made Jody and I also warriors today. It really generates a lot of anger at times when we get on our high horse on some of the stuff with the system. So and we're, the, carrying, we're carrying on. Through the foundation. Through the foundation, through our pancan activity, and through our general pushing for anything that improves anything. Well, one of the things you all had mentioned last time we spoke that resonated with me and kind of gave me hope for the future, um, and you mentioned a little bit earlier today, you were talking about how uh, through a lot of the advocacy work that you're doing through government, um, you were mentioning how this it does feel like this is truly a bipartisan uh, issue for many people that it, how it touches people's lives. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. I, I, I that gave that gave that gives me a lot of hope when I hear that there are people that are on the same team working towards a common goal. 
Well, I want to tell you, the senator from Missouri, senior senator from Missouri is Roy Blunt. He's a conservative Republican and is known to be such. Um, but as it turns out, he is one of the main advocates and pushes for funding of pancreatic cancer research. That, and it is bipartisan. When we're in Washington and we go to both the congressional side and the Senate side and in between, there is no discussion of the rancor that's currently going on at the other upper level. People are hard at work at this. They are determined. The staff of these offices are brilliant. So you are right on when you say that, yeah, there are many things that are continuing on that are under the radar at the moment that are completely bipartisan, and it gives you hope and it makes you proud that this country is, is still working. Some things are just not in the spotlight at the moment. What Tom mentioned earlier as we were talking is the Pancreatic Action Advocacy Days. And this will be our second year together, my third year. Um, and that program um, is a two-day program held in Washington, D.C. The first day is more of a of an information sharing and training day. Just there are 700 people gathered in this ballroom that are like-minded and are determined to continue to fight for funding research dollars for pancreatic cancer. Um, after that first day of prep, then the second day you meet with your congressional delegation. We were, we were actually shocked when we met with on the Missouri side of the line and we straddle the line, we have those on our team that also go to Kansas and meet with their delegates. We were surprised that those members of Congress and Senate had a personal experience with pancreatic cancer, either a father or a, uh, another relative or a closest friend. They understood. Uh, what we were doing, and it made that it made that easier. That is fantastic to hear. I uh, yeah I I I'm hopeful that while there are crises and things like that that come up, it is good to hear that that you can you can get people on a common ground, and it's not the flashiest news, but it's uh, it's certainly. Uh, not all, not all of the the most important elements of these stories are the big, uh, uh, big headlines. Let me mention one more um, that I think uh, is something that everybody can do. Uh, there is a group that our foundation has been invited to join, and we are now members of the World Pancreatic Cancer Coalition. It is thirty different. Uh, pancreatic cancer organization. Um, it is six continents. No, I'm sorry, it's 80 pancreatic uh, uh, cancer organizations and 30 different countries uh, in six continents. And on the 21st of November, that is World Pancreatic Cancer Day, uh, we will be lighting up Kansas City in purple, which is the color of pancreatic cancer. Um, we did this for the first time last year, 
and we will be lighting up through our colleagues and friends and partners at the Marriott Hotel, our big downtown hotel, will be purple. And I think there'll be a lot of purple in the city on that day. So that's the kind of thing that um, brings light, if you will, purple light, um, to all of us. Uh, And we're going to continue to push these uh, programs uh, and initiatives as much as we can. You know, um, bottom line, pancreatic cancer is soon to move into the second place for the highest death rate of all cancers. It is because the other cancers have had a lot of research and there are a lot of options and people are living. Also, pancreatic cancer is slotted into other categories, other cancer categories. It doesn't have its own line item. So it, it is a... <clears throat> It's a sneaky cancer that is being almost recognized universally. Um, And now it's getting its formal ranking. And that's what Pancreatic Cancer Action Network is trying to do is to have it um, recognized as something that really needs research. It's only through huge dollar amounts that only the federal government can provide that will provide research for early detection, better treatments, better medications. So that's the bottom line. That's why all this chat about pancreatic cancer goes on. But it is the highest, it is the highest death rate only to lung cancer in maybe in a year or two. Actually, anybody who is interested can certainly go on to our website, uh, edgerton.life, and all the numbers and connection to the organizations that we've talked about are there. Fantastic. And and uh, that would be a good location for anybody who wanted to figure out something that they can do immediately to help out with pancreatic cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether they do the Purple Stride with us, whether they attend uh, Andy's Gala on the 23rd, whether they put out a purple light uh, on the 21st of November, there are all kinds of things that will help. Jess, the general reaction to uh, when we tell people... Andy has pancreatic cancer, it is, oh, no, oh, I am so sorry, oh, oh, because the, the word out on the street is, it's a death sentence, and at first, that was kind of hard to deal with, oh, there's no hope, there's no nothing, and so that's why we jump on this pancreatic cancer and run with it with all our might and with all our wind. It is the wind beneath our our wings. Are we going to break into song? (laughs) We might. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to a day where um, hopefully it comes sooner than later that people find out they have pancreatic cancer and it's a a treatment or procedure that they go in for and then the next week they're fine and resuming life. I hope I hope somewhere in the future that's on the horizon. Well, you might keep your eye on PJ34. It's another program that has a lot of uh, hope connected to it. PJ34. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and Mr. Lampy, I don't know what category of uh, nomination this should go to. Is this an Emmy? Is it an Oscar? Is it a Pulitzer? What does this podcast 
Where will this podcast be recognized and you as the producer be recognized? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there maybe maybe uh, I'll, I'll go figure that out. But I, I think more important if if uh, we find out that a couple people went to uh, get involved in Purple Stride, I think that'll be uh, an award enough. Well, and I think I'd like to uh, kind of end here with saying that Andy's biggest, most wonderful, incredible legacy um, uh, are his two children, uh, Fletcher and Marion. That's that's what uh, so much of this, um, it, 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 it makes that legacy the most important as well in, in our lives as well as the lives of others. It was absolutely amazing to see uh, and hear from Andy uh, just how much he cared about them. Uh, and I'm uh, uh, excited to see how they grow up to become little Andys in their own way. <laughs> oh, yes, they are already little Andys. <laughs> that's, another, that's another story. <laughs> well, Tom, Jody, thank you both so much for your time today. Before we cut out, any, any other last things you want to plug or, or uh, last action items you want to give to our listeners? I don't think so. I think we would just like to thank you again for this putting together this production these this huge initiative jess and we look forward to uh um hearing this podcast uh and and the others in the future well thank you both i uh from one of the first times i hung out with andy uh at thunderbird and was left with the impression that the world as i was interpreting it may not be the only way to interpret it uh and that uh as he opened my eyes to like what are the possibilities of things and as he continued to do that uh going on that journey and having that experience the the pleasure is all mine getting to know him and you all better through this process has been fantastic thank you thank you again thank you jess lampy thank you producer extraordinaire we thank you for your generosity your time, and your creativity. And we want to also thank our good neighbor, Steve, for assisting us in developing this, uh, what do we call it? This studio. Yes, thank you, Steve. This studio. He got you all set up, right? Oh, my. Oh, yes. Very professional. Thank you, Steve. Yes, yes. Well, Jess, have fun in Grenada as well as work. Thank you very much. Yeah, we are. And and someday we want to meet you and your wife. Oh, we will definitely. We will uh we will come through Missouri. We are uh we are currently on the island. They have uh the vast majority of the students have left due to COVID, uh but we decided that that since we have our own support network with each other, it's it's better to be responsible citizens and not unnecessarily traveling from point A to point B to avoid it if we can. So we're, we're hanging tight. Uh-huh. Very smart. Well, Very hey, smart. You hang tight until all this lifts up. And then when you come through Kansas City, we will take you to all the places that Andy would have taken you. <laughs> well, maybe <And> not all. <laughs> m- most of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Thank you again. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Bye, you. Jess. Bye-bye.